Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I'm joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina from Sports Illustrated. Michael, I don't know about you, but I think this was the weekend I snapped. And arguably, you probably think I snapped when you first met me years ago. But I really feel like this was the weekend where it went off the rails. That Lakers-Nets game where there's no LeBron, no Anthony Davis, no Kyle Kuzma, no James Harden, Kyrie and Schroeder get ejected early, and KD only plays 24 minutes. And so this primetime Saturday night game boils down to Andre Drummond versus LaMarcus Aldridge in a battle of the buyout guys. And I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, NBA, I understand we took 10 games out of this regular season to take it from 82 down to 72. Maybe we should have taken another 15 or 20 games out of this season because clearly they bit off a little bit more than they can chew. I mean, I'm just looking at the quality uh, of play right now in the league. I mean, it's definitely the dog days, whatever you want to call it. We're all sort of in countdown to playoff mode. So rather than dissect... Andre Drummond's double-double too much or that fluky Boston Celtics win over the Denver Nuggets this weekend. I thought, we, <laughs> I thought we'd look ahead uh, to the playoffs. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I, I mean, I've been ready for this for a while, so uh, I'm right there with you. So good. So uh, here's the way I want to do it. I mean, it's kind of a simple concept, playoff X-Factors. The guys were circling, whether it's for lineup reasons, whether it's for matchup reasons, whether it's because they're new guys, we don't know what to expect. Just kind of question mark players, um, you know, to, to kind of keep your eye on as we get closer. And we're about five weeks out from the playoffs now, which sounds like a lot, but I do think it's going to go fairly quickly. Um, and I just think that we should maybe start with, with the matchups that I was describing earlier, which is LaMarcus Aldridge, um, you know, for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, to me, when I'm looking at the Nets being the favorites coming out of the Eastern Conference, and I think it's fair to call them that, I wrote a piece over the weekend 
uh, kind of laying out their case as overall title favorites at this point. I know some of the odds makers have them in that pole position. And of course, as soon as that piece publishes, they just go and have one of the worst games of their entire season against the Lakers. So thanks a lot, Brooklyn. But um, Aldridge, to me, does loom large here, right? Because I think when you're looking at Brooklyn's strengths, it's obviously the perimeter firepower from a scoring standpoint. Unbelievable three-point shooting um, as well. Shot creation, getting the free-throw line. All those things are kind of covered. But all year long, it's been about matchups in the middle. To me, Aldridge is clearly better than DeAndre Jordan. And, you know, it's no real surprise that he's kind of supplanted Jordan in the rotation. But he's not that big, physical, beefy guy where if you have to match up with the Joel Embiid or you have to match up even with an Andre Drummond, I thought he pretty much got cooked on Saturday night. Um, that could still loom as a problem for them. We actually saw the Lakers win last year's title with a big physical front line that I do think you know some people might have overlooked a little bit in terms of how important is it to have that size and strength and and rebounding prowess uh, during the playoffs. And of course, they're doing it with an elite defense as well. For Brooklyn, um, do you trust Aldridge to kind of be able to hold up and get them through these four series, or do you feel like that's going to be their Achilles heel? So it's it's actually really interesting that uh, Lamarcus Aldridge is the player that we're starting with as an X factor because when I look at the Brooklyn Nets roster now versus you know I was very critical after they initially traded for Harden and I thought there were a lot of holes um, throughout their roster and in the front court but now when I look at them I'm just like I don't really see any holes and so even like even if Aldridge you know, um, I'm obviously not hoping this happens, but if he were to suffer a season ending injury tomorrow, I would not have any, like, I would not lower my calibration of what I think the Nets can accomplish in the postseason because they still have Blake. They still have DeAndre Jordan. I agree Aldridge is better than DeAndre Jordan, but he's still a healthy body um, at the center position. And they still have Claxton, who might be the most, uh, like, Claxton's really good. <laughs> so they have a lot of depth up front now no, look, I'm in with the you, front court. I'm with you on Claxton, but it's the same problem with Claxton. I think that's kind of why they went to him against Drummond because Claxton's going to get bodied by Drummond too. I mean, I love him. I mean, he is so silky in how he moves around the court, you know, fast end-to-end, really smart uh, defensive player. Um, and I think they have the best defensive numbers when he's out there. But there are those certain big physical matchups where he's just given up like 100 pounds. No, I mean that's I mean that I don't disagree there. I think that like I, I mean I don't think that the Nets on like are going to win the championship because they have this like uh, capable defense. So, I'm not even really that concerned about it. Um like I don't know, like when I when I look at like a Joel Embiid, for example, I'm not really worried about Drummond for this conversation, but like when I look at Joel Embiid, I just don't think anyone can match up with him in single coverage, so it doesn't even matter almost. Like it's like we're going to double this guy in every uh every post touch, every time he puts it on the deck, we're going to send another body at him, make him make a decision, make him try to hit an open shooter on the weak side, something like that. Like I, I so I I don't know. I like I, I'm not that concerned about Brooklyn's front court well, as, as much as I used to be. Here's what I'm picturing. I hear you for sure. And they definitely upgraded their front court. They've got three guys now who I like better than DeAndre Jordan. And that's not easy to do when you're talking about, you know, developing a young player over the course of his second season or going out and grabbing a Blake Griffin or a LaMarcus Aldridge. But I'm just picturing 
Joel Embiid as like this gigantic bowling ball just going through tree branches. Like, have you ever seen trees in the winter where they're, you know, they the branches are without leaves and they're kind of thin and you're worried, is this thing really going to hold up? Is it going to fall over before spring gets here and all that? That's pretty much the Nets front court. Even if they're double and triple teaming him, right? Like, there's just a lot of thin limbs that are not going to be able to handle him. And, uh, you know, apologies for this uh, tortured, uh, you know, language here. But, like, even if they double him, do they have enough to slow him down? I mean, that's a really good question. It, it, it's it's why that we're, we're – it looks like we're never going to see the KD at the five lineups. Uh, I think that they were – they're really nervous about going up against a team like Milwaukee with Brooke Lopez and Giannis in the front court, a team like Philly um, – with Embiid, even like Miami with Bam Adebayo, who, you know, I think back to this game earlier in the season where he drew like 25 fouls. <laughs> it's just like a total monster on the boards. Um, or even like, honestly, like if you were to go up against the Pacers in a, in a playoff series where they have two uh, brutes in the front court um, who really protect, pr- protect the, I'll just do that right <clears throat> Three, two, one. Who really protect the paint, um, control the glass, score in the post, uh, and can really create some matchup nightmares for you. So, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I feel like at the end of the day, when, when, if the Nets get to the finals, it'll just be because no one can stop their offense. And so it won't even matter, honestly, is kind of how I view it. For sure. And that's been the philosophy for Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni their entire careers. And there's always been the hiccups, right? So it's sort of like, will this mm-hmm. other shoe fall? I do hope that we get the Kevin Durant at center lineups in the first round. I don't know who they might get in the first round. I mean, it could be Charlotte if they um, fall off a little bit. I mean, it could be Chicago Bull and all-star, all-NBA guard Zach Levine if they can just turn the season around a little (laughs) bit and get themselves through the play-in round, Michael. Um, I think they could go Katie at the five with that group and really put Vucevic in some uncomfortable spots. So I would hope that we get to see it at some point here in the playoffs, but I think against some of the important matchups, it could be really tricky for them. And that's a lot to put on Aldridge. I mean, this is not a typical buyout guy's responsibility, I guess is my point. As we're seeing him get integrated and how they want to play, he's a pretty important guy. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple other names and you can just riff on whoever you want. All right. I've got uh, Bojan Bogdanovich in Utah. You know, to me, uh, you know, he's he's kind of in that 40% three-point shooter mold. He's crucial to kind of balancing their offense and getting them to play, uh, you know, late in games to be more than just the Donovan Mitchell show. And I think that's going to be absolutely essential for them if they're going to be winning series after series without having great defensive matchups against, you know, the, the big LA forwards with the Clippers or the Lakers. If he's not giving them something major from an offensive standpoint, um, I think that's going to wind up, uh, you know, biting them pretty hard. I've got Dante DiVincenzo uh, in Milwaukee. I mean, you look at the amount of players who have left the Bucks. I mean, from Eric Bledsoe to George Hill to Wesley Matthews to now DJ Augustin. Of course, they bring Drew Holiday back in, and he's going to be part of that big three and get the monster contract. And now you've got a player in DiVincenzo who's quietly had a career year and yet there's really no other options or great options for a coach Bud to turn to. So he's going to have to play a ton of minutes. And especially if they get into series where Lopez has to come off the court for matchup purposes, Dante's basically got to be out there logging huge, huge minutes. He shot the ball very well this year. 
Um, I think that he's pretty good on defense. I mean, the size stuff worries me a little bit in, in some of the matchups. And at the same time, you know, you're looking at some of the all-stars he might have to go against or log minutes on. That's going to be a tough matchup for him. So I have him in this conversation as well. And, and then two more quickly, Aaron Gordon for Denver. I feel like that one's almost self-explanatory. You've seen his major positive impact uh, since the trade deadline. They won seven straight before, just a complete dud against your Celtics. And then, um, you know, I think one just permanent X factor who we're all still kind of waiting on answers on um, is Tobias Harris, where he wants to come out and whine, oh, I'm not an all-star. Well, an all-star would have shown up in last year's playoffs and picked up some of the slack for Ben Simmons. An all-star would have shot a lot better than he did from three-point land and wouldn't have got completely cooked by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, everybody else for the Boston Celtics, and really providing not much in that series on the defensive end. So those are my um, my kind of higher-level uh, X factors. Which of those guys do you want to nibble on, Michael? <laughs> what a way to phrase it. Um Let's nibble on uh, let's nibble on Bogdanovich for a second. Um, it's really fascinating because he's fourth on Utah in scoring after a season where he was pretty much neck and neck with uh, with Donovan Mitchell as kind of like the alpha scorer for the Jazz last season before he got hurt and then wasn't able to play in the bubble. And if you were to tell me heading into this season that he was going to average 14 a game or 15 a game or whatever it is, I would say that the Jazz would be in a lot of trouble. And instead, they're great. And he hasn't even played as well as I think he can. And I think to the whole point of this discussion of whether or not he can be a, a critical X factor, like I feel like he can go up a level in the postseason for sure. And defensively, it's going to be really interesting to see how he holds up and see how opponents uh, really attack him um, and hunt him in screen actions and try to isolate late in games. And, and even if like he's playable late in games, or if but or sorry, if if Quinn Snyder um, goes to uh, you know Joe Ingles in a closing lineup, or or uh, George Niang, or just any other body. Um, because he can't live with the defensive issues there. So I think that Boyan's really fascinating because um, he could take this team up to an even higher level if he plays even better or even if he plays a little bit more like he did during last year's regular season before he suffered that wrist injury. Yeah, so he was a guy where if you go through his game locks, it's like, hey, if Boyan hits three or four threes, Utah wins at an insanely high rate. If Boyan doesn't hit a three, Utah loses at a much higher rate than they usually do all season long. And that's not a, some huge surprise. I mean, we understand how um, relying upon they, uh, the three-pointer they are as a team, but he's mm-hmm. kind of that swing guy to me, right? Where obviously he's averaging fewer points this season, uh, like you mentioned. Um, but, you know, you want him out there in late games. The reason why I was thinking of him was that Wednesday night game against Phoenix, because it just ground my gears, Michael. I mean, you get down into a late fourth quarter possession game, Utah is relying really heavily on Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he has 41 points in that game. It's just an awesome performance. He's been great lately, probably deserves more hype than he's been getting. And the ball kicks to Bojan, wide open three. This is a playoff preview. There's like, you know, maybe a minute left in this game. He's got a clean look at it. And what does he do? He double clutches for no reason. He double clutched because he was one for eight from deep on the night and he didn't want the whole game riding on his shot. 
You can't have that mentality, Bojan. You've got to step up and be ready to jack it. Instead, he double clutches, winds up shooting, and it misses. And, you know, they go on to lose that game in overtime. It just really bothered me. You can't be that double clutcher, you know. you got to let that thing fly. I'm sure they talked about that, uh, you know, after the game as well. And, um, you know, part of the problem is their other front court scoring options aren't great. And I do think Utah is going to get into a situation where their defense is not going to be as good in the playoffs as it's been during the regular season. They're going to find themselves more reliant upon their offense to win these games. And that's been the case, you know, look back to last year's postseason. They get into this crazy shootout with the Denver Nuggets because they're not able to have that same level of defensive impact, right? If they want to hit sixth gear, it basically has to happen with Bojan or it's not going to happen. That's how I view it. Um, All right, Michael, I know you've been dying to talk about Aaron Gordon probably ever since the trade deadline because (laughs) pretty sure he's like one of your favorite players. Um, He's looked awesome. I think they were 7-0 and in the first seven games. And also their offensive rating with their five-man group, um, they've only played four games together because Jamal Murray got injured, but it's something like 133.9, I believe, um, which is just you know off the charts ridiculous. You're practically scoring every single time down the court. So needless to say, he's been a clean fit, and he has the potential really to elevate them to being one of the top favorites in the Western Conference. I kind of feel like uh, right now... Denver's the team that nobody wants to play um, after they got that maneuver. You know, like Lakers fans, eh, we'd rather play Phoenix than Denver. You know, I think a lot of people are, are feeling that way in the West. What do you see from Aaron Gordon? And the reason why I put him as an X factor, five career playoff appearances, one career playoff win. This guy's been in the NBA for a while. That says something about Orlando, of course, and, and their lack of playoff history. But it also just makes him a question mark. Like, what does playoff Gordon look like? You're right. I, I do love Aaron Gordon. I'm uh, infatuated with this fit. Um, you know, it's really funny. You look at just his entire career. If you go to uh, cleaningtheglass.com, you're able to see points per shot attempt that a, a player um, uh, yields during any season. And up until uh, he was traded to Denver, Basically, he never got above 108, which is not a great number if you're a, a primary ball handler, as he was in a lot of different roles for that team, or even just a forward. And in Denver, he's at 131, <laughs> which is like absolutely ridiculous. And it's all because of the shots that he's taking. Like he's a lot well, of them are. It's all because of Jokic. Assisted. Let's be honest. Yes. No. 100. percent It's it's all. Jokic setting him up. It's all uh, screen and roll actions with Murray back screens where he's just able to cut into the paint and get wide open because defenders are petrified of Jokic. I mean, even just that Celtics game that you mentioned, like the Celtics were just throwing like three, four bodies at Jokic (laughs) every time he caught a pass. And like, that's, I think that's how teams are going to have to defend the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs. So it's going to be up to Aaron Gordon to, um, really play well off of Jokic, off of the the Murray-Jokic pick and rolls, off those DHOs with those two, and, you know, duck in when there's a smaller guy on him because the defense is forced to switch. And I, I just, I, I absolutely adore the fit, um, love it to death. And then defensively, I think that we'll see even more value in certain matchups. You know, if they go up against the Clippers again, if they go up against the Lakers, he's the guy who's going to guard LeBron. Like, it's just, he's he's just so critical for the Denver Nuggets, who I think, 
I don't know if they're the favorite to win it all, or I should say, I don't know if they're the favorite to come out of the West, but it's hard to just like pick another team like clearly over them. Yeah, they're your favorite is what you're saying. Have you ever considered what it would be like if you worked with Jokic in an office-like environment? Because I've always been intrigued by people who could make their teammates better. I don't think that's particularly one of my skills, Michael. I've been trying to work on it, you know, but I do feel like I'm more of a bucket-getting gunner in my day-to-day life. And imagine being in an office with Jokic where like not only is he like the sales leader, but he's also probably brewing the coffee for everybody at 6.55 a.m. He's probably staying late to sweep up and clean things up. He's handling all the phones during lunch break. I mean, he's just covering for absolutely everyone. And, you know, it's just such a rare degree of impact on his environment that you do have to put them into this kind of a conversation of, yes, they are absolutely legitimate title contenders this year. And I do think when we're looking back at that trade deadline, Denver is the clearest winners there was. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, no other move has even really come close to that Aaron Gordon move. I mean, that yeah, no, I mean... And probably the second just, best move of the year besides Harden, you know, in terms of like actually impacting wins and losses when you're looking at these contenders. Um, now, granted, you got to deduct some points because they did have to fill a hole they created by not taking care of Jeremy Grant and all that, but it's nice work by their front office. I love how the Jeremy Grant thing always comes up between us. Like, you would kill them if they paid Jeremy Grant $60 million over three years or whatever. I just need talent around Jokic. That's the bottom line. I just need something (laughs) that he can manipulate. I mean, he could basically score, do everything for all of his teammates. We just need live bodies around him. That's the problem. So um, I think it actually worked out great for everyone. Jeremy Grant's getting some amazing fantasy numbers for his, um, you know, fantasy basketball owners. And, um, you know, it's going to be a long couple of years there in Detroit. I'm sure he's pleased with his decision regardless. And Denver is in a much better spot. What about Dante? Are you in on Dante the X Factor? Uh, maybe yeah, a little bit. Like, I, I can see, like, honestly, I, I think I can see the Bucks playing, like, going pretty far, even if he doesn't play particularly well. So... Well, I should have mentioned like, earlier real quick. I mean, they also mm-hmm. don't have Sterling Brown. They also parted with Torrey Craig. Like, mm-hmm. a bunch of the guys who were even just around are not there. So, God, and I think he actually has, like, a minor injury Dante does right now, but he's had great health all season long. Um, if he were to get, like, an ankle sprain, like, you know, you're basically playing for Coach Bud. You know, you're you're out there three and D shooting, Michael. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Like, I think – He's so equal to Pat Connaughton. Like, I I honestly can't really tell them apart in the way that they play, the roles that they have. So, like, I don't know. Like, But I definitely don't trust Pat Connaughton in the playoffs. So it's got to be Dante. Well, okay then. But I mean, like, I don't. Like, when I look at the Bucks, I honestly say to myself that I think Drew Holiday is probably their biggest X factor. And then second is, or maybe first, is Bud and just what his commitment is going to be to different lineups that we all know they need to play. Like, that's that's really what it comes down to to me more than, oh, is Dante DiVincenzo shooting 43% from the three-point line or 33% from the three-point line? Like, Yeah, well, look, if I'm, if I'm Bucks ownership, you know how the Apple Watch has a little buzzers? That'll wake you up or give you an alarm or tell you you need to stand up and walk around and get some steps, you know, because you've been sitting at your desk too long. 
If I'm the Bucks mm-hmm. owners, I get like an ultra Apple Watch for Coach Bud, where if he tries to take Giannis out of the game, <laughs> his wrist just starts shaking, you know, maybe a little bit of electrical pulses to make sure that he doesn't uh, he doesn't get too crazy with the substitutions. I actually kind of think that, well, maybe this is wishful thinking. I feel like we're going to see Bud 2.0 in these playoffs, where it's just going to be Giannis is going to play 46 minutes a night. There's, he's just going to not allow anyone to criticize the rotation management. He's just going to live and die with those best players. And those main three guys are just basically never going to leave the court. Is that crazy? To Am I crazy to think this? Because they haven't played that many minutes so far during the regular season, of course. Um but I also feel like the stakes here are so big, especially after they give 250 to Giannis and 160 to Drew. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to play those guys. You can't be like, well, I hope we can buy some time with Pat Connaughton and Bobby Buckets Portis. I mean, come on. No, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Um, but Drew lets them play those lineups. That's why I like, like, I, I just think Drew is the preeminent X factor on this team. And he's someone who, like, if he plays as well as he has during the regular season, granted in more minutes, like, this team is extremely good. And if he kind of, you know, Drew, Drew has a history of disappearing in big spots. Um, and so if that were to happen, then I think that they would just be dead in the water. Um, so I think that his his impact and influence is going to be really critical. So it's a good point on Drew. Um, I think his defenders would say he also, you know, locked up Damian Lillard for that playoff series. And so even though you know, maybe he doesn't have the deepest postseason resume. He can at least say, hey, in, in that one moment, he was absolutely awesome, totally changed the series and was the X factor of that series. I mean, Anthony Davis was mm-hmm. sensational for New Orleans in that series, but backcourt defense is what made it over so quickly, right? I mean, there is a scenario where Drew Holiday comes out of this thing as a huge winner. He has an amazing defensive series against Brooklyn. Maybe the Nets offense never quite gets on track. He's out there playing 47.9 minutes per night and just, you know, constantly guarding one of those two star guards for the Nets. 47.9, Yeah, well, you know, it's with the Apple Watch. You know, (laughs) Coach Bud's got to bring him out for, you know, 16 seconds, uh, maybe four-second increments once a quarter. Uh, But you know what I'm getting at, right? Like this, you know, he is going to be so essential that if he does play to his full capabilities, if he has another Damian Lillard-like lockup season, his reputation is going to completely change because they're really going to need him that badly. And that's what I worry about. Uh, I'm not actually that concerned about Holiday showing up. Like, look, it's going to be night and day compared to last year because it's not Bledsoe. It's not some of those other guys who just completely no-showed during the playoffs. They're going to get a lot more from their backcourt totally, but I think they're going to need more than three guys to get through Philly or to get through um, Brooklyn. And that's mm-hmm. why I circled Dante, because I don't really trust Brooke. I don't love him in particular matchups. And I think it's going to come down to that three-point shooting and also the, the two-way defense in the backcourt. Um, last one on my list was Harris. Uh, any thoughts on on Toby, or do you want to give me some of your nominations? Um, I don't I don't really have anything grand or novel to say about Tobias no, Harris. No, it's really I mean, just like, please show up, right? I mean, come on. Like, we're, we've been waiting. Will you just please show up? Yeah. Like, this kind of, you know, you can look at stats in wins versus losses, and they're pretty much the same for everybody. Like, players play well when their team wins, typically. Um, for Tobias Harris, the three-point shooting really stood out to me, though. He shoots 28% from behind the three-point line when Philly loses and 46% when they win. That's a pretty big disparity. Um, so, 
yeah, just show up. <laughs> it's basically the moral of the story. No, it's so true for him. I mean, his three-point shooting against Boston was even worse. Let me ask you, from like the Celtics' perspective in last year's playoffs, was there a single second that you were worried about Tobias Harris in that series? Because I felt like, to me, that series just devolved so quickly into like Joel Embiid, you have to do literally everything because Ben Simmons isn't out there. And as we discussed last summer, it, Tatum emerged as the best and most important player in that series very quickly. And they, it was harder for Philly to match up with Tatum than vice versa. As that played out, and I know it was a quick series, Michael, four games. I mean, you blink and it's over, you know, poor Sixers fans. Um, was there ever a second where you're like, oh boy, Tobias is going to light us up. We better be ready for the Tobias Harris show because I don't remember that at all. Mm, no, I mean... That didn't really happen, and to be fair, like, yeah, it was a super small sample size, but also, like, the way that Tobias plays the game, if he's not scoring, I don't really know what else, like, how else he's able to really impact winning, so if the shots aren't falling, it's tough, and in these playoffs, when Ben Simmons has the ball in his hands a ton more, when Seth Curry has the ball in his hands a ton more, it's just going to be really interesting to see kind of how he fits in and how aggressive he is. And, like, if he's able to be a positive factor when the shot is not falling for him. I'm with you for sure. All right, Michael, hit me with your X factors. Okay, I have five or six here. Do you want me to just read them to you and then we'll go through them um, one by one? I don't need to give you instructions, Michael. You're ready to do this however you'd like. Would you like to pick your favorite one, dig in deep? (laughs) Do you want to give me the buffet? I'll go either way. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm (laughs) I'm gonna read all of them to you, and then I'll I'll just throw the ball in your court. All right, give me something to nibble on, Michael. Okay, Uh, Rajon Rondo, great one. He was my last cut, so we're we're in sync there. We can come back to him. Who else he got? DeAndre Ayton, our favorite. Yep. Uh, Kemba Walker, great one. Andre Drummond, for sure. Kristaps Porzingis. Ooh, okay. And this is a, a spicy one, uh, but Bogdan Bogdanovich. Wow. The other Bogdanovich. All of the Bogdanoviches hopping into this. Um, <laughs> can we start with Porzingis? Because uh, he's had a really interesting season, right? I mean, public enemy mm-hmm. number one for basically January. Coming back around, the shooting is looking better. The scoring impact is there. The defense, you know, has improved because it was basically as bad as it could get when he was first getting up to speed after that injury. And there was a lot of like, you know, instant uh, gratification desire, I think, from the Mavericks fans on Porzingis. And, you know, it just wasn't there. But he's, you know, gotten himself into certain spots. At the same time, the defense still is not great. And they sit him in, in some fourth quarters down the stretch for defensive purposes which I love to see from Carlisle, and it's a pretty gutsy move. And if he was playing in L.A. or New York, there would probably be a lot more backlash uh, you know, to that fact. So it's, it may be working out well for Dallas to be a little bit under the radar. But he was pretty good in that first-round series last year before the injury. I'm not he was sh- great yeah, in that series. Right, but I'm not sure I can see Dallas winning a first-round series. So I guess, let me ask you, what's the best-case scenario in this X-Factor conversation for Porzingis? Like, what's it look like? Who are they beating in the first round of the playoffs? Like, what's kind of their ceiling? Because I know there's a lot of Mavericks fans out there who have been waiting since probably November to hear you say something nice about their franchise. And they're right there in the playoff mix, Michael. 
They are. And uh, I watched last night's uh, loss against the Spurs, where he was benched um, in the last couple possessions for defensive reasons when the Spurs went small a little bit. Even though Jakob Pertl was on the floor, it was it was bizarre. But anyway, um, yeah, KP, when he's on the court, their defense is just not good. Um, and they're better when he's on the bench. And the way I kind of see him, though, like we're starting to, to, to get that KP who is just capable of like having 14-point quarters. Because especially when he's with Luka, their pick and roll, their pick and pop is one of the most unstoppable combination tandems, whatever, in the league this season, quietly, I think. And I, like, I just don't know how you, you guard it. And so a lot of that is just because Luka is he's Luka. And he's, he's gotten just, better, man. Like, Luka's a monster right now. No, Luka, I don't even know what to do with him. Um he didn't even like I'm just real quick like in that game last night against the Spurs he didn't really go to the step back three at all until he absolutely had to and he bricked a couple um which was really strange to me because that shot's been really been working for him and it's one of the reasons why you just you can't switch like anyone onto him who's not like an elite primary defender which is why um, you know, teams blitz him so much, even when he runs a pick and roll with with KP, and KP just gets these wide open threes, and he has like thirty five feet range. So uh, it's he it's he's so really silly worked on how his complimentary range. Complimentary, yeah, yeah. No, he's really worked on their range. It's awesome how they deploy it. I mean, he's got the ultra green light. I'm sure it drives some fans crazy to see a seven foot three guy jacking from 32 feet but it is a good shot over the course of a game if you're sucking defenders out that far giving Luca more room to operate and giving everybody else on the court opportunities to get a higher percentage shots it's very helpful even if it's a little bit unorthodox and uh you know unconventional compared to old school basketball the thing I've noticed about Luca this year he could have a bad game and he's still 25 5 and 5 you know what I mean? Like his bad games. He's a superstar. Yeah, yeah it's what, it's LeBron like, right? I mean, his the the floor for his uh, production and his impact is high on a night to night basis. And then when he really does have it going, like when he does go to that step back and happens to hit three or four of them, like he did against Boston. You know, we talked about that. Um, it's just obscene, you know. And and so the ceiling is super high too. But he's got him himself into that category already. There are very few players. Uh, in that mold where even their off nights are awesome nights. So what is the most likely scenario here, do you think, for the Mavericks in terms of the playoffs? I see them as a first round and out team. You know, I, I just not sure that they can match up well enough with any of the powers, whether it's Utah, Denver, or the LA teams. If they got Phoenix, I think that would actually be kind of a bloodbath series uh, and really fun to watch. But I think I trust Phoenix's uh, two-way balance more than I do Dallas's. And so maybe it goes seven. There's probably a couple games in there where Luka has 45 and it's just like, oh God, let's ramp up this hype train one more time. But I still think I'd probably pick Phoenix in that series. What about you? I would also pick Phoenix. But the reason why I'm 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 selecting KP as uh, an X factor here is like if there were two or three games where both he and Luca were actually operating at their apex. Like that is, that's just tough to beat. Like, I don't really know how you stop that. And so like the thing about Porzingis also is like, he's starting to crash the offensive glass. Like he's doing things that 
big men do without a play being called for them and positively impacting the game. And so if he continues to do that, play with high energy, clearly he has more confidence in his body and what his body can do right now, which is a really good sign for him and for the Mavericks. So if he can stay healthy, if he can knock down the threes, space the floor, but then also be a little bit more aggressive um, in the paint, like, I just don't know how you stop this team. Uh, Michael, it's just, it's... I'm, I'm wondering if you're being fraudulent here. I'm wondering if you're picking KP... <laughs> as your X factor because you're counting on him to not come through and you just want to lay the groundwork to be like, I told you he was the X factor so you could just crush him when they lose. Is that true? I'm trying to see no. I'm trying to see through things with the Oracle from Oregon. I'm trying to predict the future out into May. Am I right? I think I'm right. No, no. I'm being genuine. I'm always authentic <laughs> with you. <laughs> well, there is a scenario where it goes dark though, right? I mean that's I mean there's a there's a situation where Luca is it just full pout mode? They're going out in five games in the first round. Porzingis can't play down the stretch. You know, everyone's saying, God, when is Luca going to get some help? It kind of goes back to the Giannis conversations from past years. Everyone looks at uh, KP's contract. Oh, this is the impediment to really getting them to, uh, you know, a better place as an organization. Like, that is also in play. I'm not predicting that will happen, but that's why he is a great X Factor pick by you because. The spectrum here is vast in terms of how this could play out. Yeah, and it's so funny. You bring up that contract. We did our worst and best contracts in the league episode last week, two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. If we did that in January, he would have been number one. (laughs) Yeah, I think I said on an episode that I thought his contract was one of the worst potentially in the entire league. And... It didn't even cross my mind to include him on that list yeah. anymore because just how well he's No, playing. we overreacted, and we weren't alone. I think we, we got way into, you know, like, this is who Porzingis is going to be forever because, you know, he was coming off that knee a little bit slowly, and I'm glad that he's in a better spot. And, you know, we'll see uh, exactly how many minutes he can hold up. I mean, last year, there was the issue of composure. You know, he got ejected from a game, and there was also an injury in the, um, in the playoffs. So there's, you know, all sorts of question marks around him for sure. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime Annual Plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? 
Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Remind me of a couple of your other X factors we can dig into. Let's do Rondo. Yes, let's do Rondo. So um, Patrick Beverly gets himself ejected from the the Suns game. You know, he's throwing some crazy elbow at Chris Paul. That That was ridiculous, by the way. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. That's been an issue for them. And I don't think it gets talked about enough when we're saying, okay, what are the Clippers, you know, potential weaknesses? Beverly is not the same defensive player he was a couple years ago. In big games, he is often in foul trouble and kind of not reliable in moments when you need him to be. And he had injury issues in last year's playoffs as well. And he's older than I think people expect or think. And those could pop back up. So I feel like not only was it smart to move from Lou Williams, who just is not a playoff player, to Rondo, who's got this playoff Rondo myth around him, some of which I think is slightly overstated. But certainly, if I have to pick one of those two guys for a postseason run, I'm definitely taking Rondo. But I also think a little bit of it was insurance for Beverly, where it's like, all right, well, how much can you really count mm-hmm. on this guy in big moments late? And then also, Reggie Jackson's a traffic cone out there defensively, and he's had some awesome, awesome offensive numbers playing with the Stars this year, and I do think that he probably deserves a little bit of credit for that. And certainly, I'm not spending a lot of time praising Reggie Jackson on this show or basically anywhere else, but okay, give him credit for that. But if you're saying fourth quarter, who do you want to attack in the playoffs? Reggie Jackson, I mean, he's right up there with Porzingis in terms of like the top targets of anybody who you want to go after in crunch moments. So that's going to make Rondo give the, you know, he's he's a central piece for what the Clippers want to do because I think he's he's more reliable than Beverly. And at the same time, yeah, he's not Reggie Jackson, and that helps too. So playoff Rondo is not a myth. That's the wrong word. I would say it's just it's scripture at this oh. point. It's etched in it's etched in stone. This is what he is. He's incredible in the postseason. Wait, you can't take it away from did him. Did the Mavericks retire his playoff jersey? I'm trying to remember in that playoff jersey. Oh, that's right. He quit after two games. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he, he had a back injury. <laughs> yeah, a back injury okay, and, uh, that, that prevented them from giving him his playoff share because they didn't want him to go, you know, pick up the direct deposit, you know, and, and strain it further. So they just cut him out of the uh, the playoff checks. Exactly. Those are deep cuts. Exactly. We don't need to go down that route. Um, no. Tell me best case scenario for the Clippers with Rondo. Title? And he's he's now kind of like smirking well, over at LeBron and saying, "Oh, you guys should have kept me and ha- not gone for Schroeder." I mean, yeah, best case scenario, one hundred percent, is they win the championship. He's I, I don't know if he's going to be like on the floor. I thought you were, were going to say I don't know if he's going to be Finals MVP. <laughs> <laughs> thought about it. I thought about it. Um, but like his the first impressions here of him and in LA with the Clippers have been so good. Like in 68 minutes, he's plus 57 and that's a very small sample size. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But if you've just watched him play, he just looks so comfortable. I mean, the first game was a little, little tough, but ever since then, you know, he's been hitting his threes. Um, he's been really transforming how they attack and transition because that's one of the great things about Rondo when 
he gets the ball off of a defensive rebound and just pushes like wherever he who like whoever he hits like he he will find the right read and the right man in a spot for that player to attack right away and they really didn't have that before they were very plotting i think that's one of the complaints that Kawhi has had about just their pace and you don't need to be like run and gun all the time but picking your spots rondo's still really good at that and I think the Pat Beverly, like Pat Beverly's injury, now he's out, what, three to four weeks. And I mean, with Terrence Mann, with with Reggie Jackson, who offensively has been really good, with Rondo, with Kennard, I just don't know, like, is Pat Beverly just going to be the starting point guard on the first game of the playoffs? Or are we still going to do that? Or is like... Are the players who've been actually playing better this season going to get the minutes? Um, I think that that's a really interesting question, and that's one of the factors why I I had Rondo here. I don't think he's necessarily insurance. I think he could be potentially an upgrade over Pat Beverly um, during spots in the postseason. No, I I agree for sure. And, um, you know, look, they're not going to have a lot of time to sort those questions out because their first-round series is going to be tough. You know what I mean? Like, they could be in a situation where they draw the Lakers in the first round. They could draw, you know, Damian Lillard, the um, guy who loves to wave people off the court in the first round. They could draw mm-hmm. Luka in the first round, and the Clippers struggled with Luka in last year's first round. So kind of no matter how that matchup shakes out for them, they're going to need to be ready early. Beverly's health and role is a big question for them. All right, who else you got? Well, you uh, brought him up at the top when we were talking about LaMarcus Aldridge, and that is uh, Mr. Andre Drummond. Um, so let me ask you, did he make the right call in picking the Lakers over the Nets? Because remember, I had my whole fantasy where Drummond and P.J. Tucker and everybody was going to go to Brooklyn, and pretty much everyone did except for those two names. Um, Drummond, I was kind of surprised that he picked the Lakers. Um, kind of impressed, frankly, because I wasn't sure exactly what kind of a role he was going to get because they did have a bunch of uh, centers in the mix there. But he has supplanted Marcus Gasol. I understand Marcus Gasol is not entirely thrilled about that, but at least he's being a good team player. I, I appreciate him for that. He's a- Called that one. Yeah, yep. he's a veteran. You, you understand how those kinds of things go. Um, but that was like the best case scenario from Drummond on Saturday night. And there is a world where that front line, Drummond- Anthony Davis and LeBron James just kind of like shoves the ball down teams throat in the playoffs, sort of like the Lakers did last year in in the postseason as well. And they're just kind of, you know, dictating the terms of the game with that size, athleticism and strength. At the same time, Drummond's got this long track record of basically screwing up offenses that he's on, you know, because there's just no spacing. And eventually you think, well, maybe there would be a matchup where that kind of screws them up. Um, It's really hard to evaluate because we haven't seen Drummond yet with the two stars, and it could be a while until we see that. Um, I don't love having a big traditional center in the paint when LeBron's trying to drive in there, you know, play after play after play. It feels like that could be a little bit burdensome, but he always finds a way to make it work with guys. So I'm curious, like, are you all in on the Andre Drummond experience after seeing him take apart one quarter of the Brooklyn Nets on Saturday, or do questions linger? And did he make the right call? Should he have gone to Brooklyn instead? Hmm. I guess like with Drummond, I'm not all in. I'm not all out. I'm I'm fascinated to see just how this works. Um, the Brooklyn Nets game really. I mean, I'm watching that and I'm just like, 
how did the Lakers get Andre Drummond? Like, how is this fair? It was the first time that 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 question, those questions, actually were crystallizing in my brain when he was like going one on three against, you know, granted not the biggest, beefiest defenders, but just like overpowering guys in the post and getting to his hook and just looking really comfortable. And there were the plays that you're referencing where you know he'll just like fake a dribble handoff and go careening towards the rim and have no idea what he wants to do and shoots it like underhanded and it doesn't even touch the rim. But like those are just, I I think that those possessions will just absolutely disappear when LeBron is healthy. All part of the experience, (laughs) all part of the experience. Are we sure he can control that though? You know? I mean, I guess we'll see. Like the way I've kind of viewed it from the optimistic through an optimistic lens is like he is such an upgrade over what they had with Dwight Howard last year and Dwight Howard was not bad last year like to to have this guy who is he's Dwight but he's like way more athletic than I think people give him credit for and he creates legitimate problems and like late in a clock if he has the ball in his hands he can make things happen and he has like a pretty good like, I, maybe I'm giving him too much credit for the playmaking, and some of it is, like, him just being super bold with the ball and really willing to make kind of ridiculous passes that pay off maybe one every five times he pull, tries to pull yeah, them I don't off, trust his like, passing, man. I'll tell you, him, him, him and Aiton, <laughs> keep it simple in these playoffs. That's what I'm saying for those two guys. No, I mean, that's fair. Um, but just the fact that he's going to be with LeBron, with AD, like if he's a backup center for stretches, that's kind of, that's kind of ridiculous, man. Like taking Andre Drummond when, when Anthony Davis is resting, like that is, you can't breathe if you're the opposition there. It's really helpful in a bunch of their potential matchups to have him as well, right? I mean, you can use him against Gobert. You can use him against Jokic, just like the Lakers did with Dwight Howard last year. Your point on his passing, by the way, I mean, I'm not trying to be too down on him, if you compare it to what they had at that spot last year, you know, I mean, guys like Dwight and JaVale where that ball's never coming back out, right? Or something bad's going to happen. He's certainly a big upgrade there. You just want to make sure he sticks to, you know, what he does best and doesn't doesn't overdo it in key moments. But, you know, a possible matchup with Nurkic probably wouldn't happen, but, you know, potentially, uh, you know, him, Zubak. I mean, there's there's kind of centers you have to deal with, even Aiton. I mean, pretty much whoever the Lakers would need to deal with in the first round, Drummond's going to help from a matchup standpoint for sure. And I'm really excited to see what LeBron can do in terms of like elevating Drummond because Drummond has been stuck with some of the point guards that I would least like to play with in NBA history, right? I mean, it's been Reggie Jackson. It has been Colin Sexton, um, you know, and and look, he's a talented scorer, but I don't really view him as a distribution-minded point guard. And so it's a situation where he's always kind of like, uh, you know, a round peg in a square hole. LeBron will bring the best out of you. He got great minutes from Dwight Howard. And so I actually think Drummond's going to look better when he's surrounded by talent than he even has here where he's gotten to showcase a little bit for the Lakers. Um, still, fit questions to me are real. Spacing questions because the Lakers don't have incredible outside shooting are also real and Drummond's going to make those worse. And so if he can hold up and they can maintain themselves as the number one defense with Andre Drummond on the court, I mean, that almost sounds like a coach of the year argument for Frank Vogel. I'm not going to make it, Michael, but it's like bubbling beneath the surface, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm just when I think about the spacing issues on offense, I'm not 
like normally I would be concerned, but I'm just I'm not like I'm I'm picturing a LeBron um, Drummond pick and roll with AD in the opposite dunker spot and LeBron careening towards the the paint and like how do you stop that? Like there's two lob threats. And are you just throwing all five guys in the restricted area as a defense, or just like what are you, what are you doing? How, like how is that stoppable? I don't, I don't know. But I think when I think about um, like the downside for Drummond, I think it's on the defensive end for sure. That's been his Achilles heel as a player uh, throughout his entire career, really. And you, there if, were spots. But if you had to pick any four to pair him with to cover him up, it's Davis, right? Oh, yeah, no question. Um, and LeBron, who is the smartest player who's ever lived, will help. Yeah, maybe Andre <laughs> Drummond did make a great decision now that we're really talking this through, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, the team that I was going to bring up, and I know you're going to laugh at me, is the Celtics that he should have maybe considered just because the role was there for him to impact winning. And I think the Celtics are going to be just, they're built better for the playoffs than the team that we saw before the All-Star break and before the trade deadline. So that that was an interesting team. And I know that, uh, you know, they probably sold him on, hey, we just got rid of Tice. There's going to be a lot of minutes for you. Um and we just got Fournier, you know, you know Langford's coming exactly. along. I mean, yeah, great pitch. Banner 18. Yeah. Banner 18, yeah. baby. And meanwhile, Anthony Davis <laughs> is like, you can hop on the Xbox with us. You know, we've got this cool little gaming community going on. I mean, come on. This was an open and shut debate. I don't even think, uh, you know, come on. Did he even take a call from Danny? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have even broached the topic, honestly. Well, actually, um, you know what? In fairness, would you like to have 30 seconds right here, almost at the end of the podcast, to talk up your guy, Jason Tate? A pretty good game this weekend. Oh, I wasn't even expecting well, How kind of you? I mean, early in the episode, you called yourself a gunner, and now I'm like, this is, you're, you're John Stockton on the well, mic. Right hey, now. that's the nicest thing anyone could ever say to anyone <laughs> at any time. I'm just trying to channel my inner Jokic. Like I said, I'm being more of an office team player. I brought in some snacks, Michael. No, this is great because, it, it, you know, we were the, the next player I was going to mention for uh, X Factors was Kemba Walker. And that kind of makes me a little sad. So I'd, I'd rather talk about Jason Tatum. But um, yeah, Tatum is great. Um, but well, what did, what did you see uh, different here? Because this is the I mean, look, obviously, hey, I want to see a Jason Tatum who scores 53 points every night. Like, that's not a real take. But. I did want to personally see more from Tatum and kind of take over mentality because I think he's got that in him a little bit. And there's been moments in last year's playoffs where I wish he did more in the fourth quarter. And I know that was kind of a sensitive subject for Celtics fans because they always want to protect uh, you know Tatum against all criticism. This year, when they're struggling through some tough stretches, there was a lot of nights where I was like, yeah, you know, I understand that you want to play team basketball and you've got to balance the workload with uh Jalen because he's having an awesome season and everything else but like this Kemba thing is not working you know Tatum go out there and take 30 shots and just see what happens you know and sometimes I just kind of wish he went to that well a little bit more I didn't think he actually hijacked this game to get his number um but I I like seeing like the little bit more ultra aggressive Tatum you know like completely unleashed Tatum I want to see that more Michael not less yeah, I mean, I I think that the Celtics have done a really good job recently when they've been playing so well of just kind of clarifying the pecking order here um, where it's like, Jalen, we love 
how you've played. You were an all-star this season, but like those, you know, the pull-up mid-range jumpers that you're just taking like six a game, let's dial those back and turn them into spot-up threes that are set up by Kemba or set up by Tatum. I think that'll help our offense, and that has helped Boston's offense. Um, And if you just look like, yeah, Tatum's usage has been going up. His efficiency has been going up. He's taking more threes, fewer of those contested, frustrating twos. I do think that one of the variables for him, for sure, and variable is really a light term, but having COVID in the middle of the season and it actually impacting him, um, uh, I think that that cannot be overlooked. Uh, But one of the things that I wanted to talk about with Kemba, which kind of ties into this Tatum conversation, is if you look at the month-by-month usage rates for Kemba Walker and the month-by-month offensive rating for Kemba Walker, every month his usage rate has gone down this season. Yes, good. Let me guess. Less is more. Can I I spoil this? (laughs) And every month his offensive rating has gone up. Um, and so I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think that, uh, you know, trying to, you know, Kemba's just not hitting the shots that he hit last season or the shots that he absolutely needs to hit to come close to justifying a max contract. And so when you have him, yeah, a less is more is a good yeah, way to this put is, it. Maybe a little crude. Th- this but is bringing okay. me back to like algebra. Do you remember like as X approaches zero, Y approaches infinity? Do you remember that at all? Where like you get the little curve just like taking off. So like I think if Kemba never shoots, Boston will score every possession if we continue this trend going forward. Maybe one I mean, of the dorkiest things I've ever said on this podcast, but I know there's a few <laughs> math guys out there that are with me. And I actually think it's true. Like, of course, you know, give him... 10 shots a game, right? That's all we really need from Kemba. And I actually think cutting his minutes is a smart play too. Okay. Um, I, I don't I don't need to, you know, be that critical of Kemba. I still think that he's he's very good and very important. Um, it's just like the pull-up twos that were a staple of his game for basically his entire career have been like atrocious all year long. He just has never been able to find it. And so the way he's drifted away from that shot has been just a boon for Boston's offense when he's on the floor. And I do think that, you know, his great value is as someone who's like super speedy, super zippy, can get into the paint and then find open shooters. Like the fact that they have Fournier, they have Tatum, they have Jalen, they have really good outside shooters now who are reliable. Like, Kemba, the playmaker, I think might be what his destiny is and the best version of himself on this year's team. And so them trying to find that and find that balance a little bit more as the season's gone on has been good for them. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the point on the jumper, I mean, it's ugly, Michael. 42% from 10 to 16 feet. That's down from 47% last year. 34% on 16-foot to uh, long twos to the three-point line. That's down from 47% last year. And on threes... 34% 34% down from 38% last year. So, um, yes, go to the basket, drive and kick, keep the ball moving, don't trust yourself whatsoever. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the that's the formula for Kemba Walker's offense. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I, that's basically all I have to say about Kemba. But oh, and um, I, I actually love this. I mean, less Kemba equals more Tatum, more Brown. So that's your that's your formula, and I actually really like that for Boston. It could mean more Fournier too, and that's fine as well because at least you know he's going to get you buckets on that end. All right, I think you're last. You have one guy left, right? If I'm not mistaken. I have two oh. actually, and one of them is DeAndre Ayton, and we kind of I don't know we we talked at length about him. I don't know if you want to go back and no. circle back to that. Yeah, conversation. I think it just it boils down to he's never been in the playoffs before. He's an inconsistent player. He showed us last week against Utah that like when he really shows up with amazing energy, focus, he can absolutely impact a game with his athleticism, size, rebounding. It's not the widest skill set on offense, but he can get you some points. And then it really just comes down to can he stay out of foul trouble, maintain you know good effort, focus, and hold down that backline defense for Phoenix. If they're going to advance in the playoffs, he's going to have to play well. I don't really see any way they can kind of massage around it. I mean, they do have Sarge there as a small ball option, but you know as we've discussed, centers are going to play real minutes in the first round of this playoffs. I'm not sure they're going to be able to get away with kind of like a they get a C performance from DeAndre Ayton in the first round, they are probably losing. If they get a B plus, they're probably winning the series. So that makes him a classic X factor. I'm just going to boil to uh, boil it down to you this way, Michael. One to ten scale, how much do you trust him right now? Ten being he's your I've, lifelong confidant. Zero being um, you know he's a, a con man who has a Netflix documentary about how he's built senior <laughs> citizens out of five hundred million dollars. I think seven. Wow. Um, yeah. Like, I'm probably at more of like a 4.5, um, but okay. Oh, wow. I thought you were feeling better about DeAndre. Well, yes, but here's the problem. I don't want to judge him on his best day or his worst day because that's always a, a trouble. You know, you got to look for that baseline. I did feel like that Utah game might have been his best day in terms of like how much love he's gotten over the last couple of years. And I've just never seen him play with that level of major impact against good quality competition on a regular basis. Some nights it is awesome, right? Absolutely. Um, other nights it's just been a little bit shakier. Um, so I'm just very much in prove it mode with him, but I would love for him to prove me wrong because that means Phoenix is going to be a huge story in the, in this postseason. So I guess that's, I'm just, you know, leaning a little bit more to the skeptical side, but why are you a seven? Well, the, the on-off numbers with Aiton earlier in the season were some of the worst in the entire NBA. And it was, it was very concerning. And if you just look at them right now, he's like, their defense is good when he's on the floor their offense is a lot better when he's on the floor their field goal percentages basically in every zone are stupendous when he plays now and that's you know not all of that is just because of him but he does have an impact as one of the more efficient role men in the league he's really like the thing about him is you know is he going to be the guy who you know wants an expanded role and wants the post touches and wants to make decisions on the short roll. See, I'm I'm worried um, about that for next year. I think this year Chris is in his ear so much that he doesn't want anything. He yeah. he wants what Chris says he wants. <laughs> exactly. And so like there was that article on ESPN earlier in the season about how he's kind of studied uh, other big men who've played with Chris Paul and looked at the contracts that they've gotten from playing with him. So do you think he studied that or do you think Chris Paul emailed that to him and was like, memorize this list. I got DeAndre Jordan paid. I can get you paid. 
No, I think it, that's a possibility for sure. I actually completely um, believe that anecdote because you'll remember during his pre-draft interview where they were like, you know, what are your life goals? And he's like, I just want to get that giant second contract. And everybody's like, you're not supposed to say that out loud, DeAndre. <laughs> Oh, just man. an all-timer um, you know i love going to those press conferences before the draft you know you never know exactly what's going to happen guys are nervous they're not completely polished yet because obviously they're 18 or 19 just great honesty from deandre aiden i'm just trying to get paid give me that 200 million all right bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so so like a lot of just how he's played in a streamlined role and accepted it and excelled in it um, and improved throughout the season. He just looks so comfortable. Like, I don't think that that Utah Jazz game is an outlier by any stretch of the imagination. I think that he's just, this is kind of the track that he's on. And yeah, like, I feel pretty good about him a little bit more. You know, I've watched a lot of Suns games over the past couple of weeks, and you feel good the more you watch him, which is a, a very good sign. But like, I, I don't think that, um, like, Sarich who's been great this year in his role. I don't think that he's like a plan B. Like if Aiton doesn't work, then that's just, that's totally. it for Phoenix, which is why I wanted to have him on this list. Like Saric is a backup five. He's not a starting five. 100%, a 100% agree. All right, who's your last one, Michael? Uh, the little Bogdanovich. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, so this is a little bit of a different conversation because most of these guys we've talked about are either sort of like contenders I mean, I guess not Boston, but, you know, pretty much every other team that we've talked about uh, <laughs> in the contender class. I'm having a hard time seeing that with the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, right now they're in the four seed. They've got to be loving life. Nate McMillan turnaround has been a, just a monster story for them. So why do you have Bogdanovich here? Is it the idea that, like, if he gets red hot, they could shock somebody in the first round? Or are you seeing even bigger things for the Hawks? I was pretty high on the Hawks coming into this season after, you know, they signed Gallo, <clears throat> they signed Bogdanovich, and we just haven't been able to see, like, Apex Bogdanovich really, like, he, it took him a long time to kind of get going. And since the All-Star break, he's just been absolutely, like, a human torch. And I just fantasize about lineups where, you know, He's with Trey Young. He's with John Collins. He's with healthy DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella. I just think this Hawks team can still be so, so good. And, you know, for whatever reason, they just, I think a lot of re the, the rationale was, you know, health-based earlier in the season when they were struggling. And now, you know, if everyone can get healthy heading into the playoffs, the fact that they might have or position themselves to have home court in the first round is kind of a big deal. Like I could see them winning a playoff series. And if this guy, I don't know if you saw the Hornets game yesterday where he was just like hitting step back threes over, uh, like he hit one step back three from the left wing over, over like, Jalen McDaniels. I was going to say, I thought it might've been over Mitch Kupchak's son or, or Michael Jordan's cousin. <laughs> I mean, that was one of those games, like half the, it's another one, and bringing it back to my original point, another game where like half you know, the important players are just not out there on the court. So not to take away from his performance, because we've been waiting for that. And when every time I see a, a, a line like that from him, I'm just like, God, I wish he was on Milwaukee. This would be such a more interesting postseason. But I'm with you. So if, if they're four or five against Miami, you think they could beat Miami? Miami's a tough one. Yeah, the answer um, is no. They're going out in the first round. Yeah. 
If, well, yeah, if, you know, if Oladipo is just like, I don't know what's going on with his knee and if Dragic can't get right, then I could see a door sliding open for Atlanta, honestly. Um, but, but yeah, I don't, like, I don't know who would be there. Like, if they were somehow matched up against the Knicks in round one, like, yeah, I think they'll beat the so Knicks. So you, you um, see Atlanta rising to the one seed then? <laughs> uh, yeah look i mean yeah i think that the problem is they're stuck and they're they're capped out at four you know what i mean so unless new york really pulls something together here I, and I, I just don't see them unseating miami i think it's going to be atlanta miami in the four or five i think charlotte's bound to come back to earth i'm not well i guess boston could sneak their way into that um what if it's atlanta boston i mean i think i would still take boston that series wouldn't you yeah, of course. Who are you talking to? Uh, all right, actually, Boston let me take that, that back. Series. I'll take Atlanta in that series. That's how Atlanta gets to the second <laughs> round. The only team that they could reasonably play and actually beat is the Boston Celtics. Atlanta is like the JV Celtics when I look at how their roster is constructed. I can't wait to come on to this show. Sense. Look, if Atlanta gets Boston the first round, I'm going to come on. Everything I've said about Trey Young before, about his defensive numbers and his shot selection, that's all going out the window. And we're going to talk about Trey Young as the number one all-star snub. Look at this guy turn his season around. We're going to be high, all, oh, all no, NBA. I, I, it's going to I, be great. I, no, I can't wait for the Trey Young is actually John Stocks in 2.0 <laughs> PowerPoint presentation. That's going to be great. We'll see how it goes, Michael. Hey, if you'll indulge me for one second, I want to close this conversation up with one question we got from Michael. And, you know, Michael, every once in a while, I can kind of finish your sentences and vice versa. And I kid you not, this email, he was like buried deep within my brain when I got this over the weekend. He writes, we are less than one month away from the release of Ben's book, Bubble Ball. If you haven't already, go pre-order it. Again, I did not pay him to write this. He says, Ben, can you give the fans a tease of what to expect? A hint of a favorite story or an untold quote? Keep up the great work. Can't wait to read the book. So I really appreciate that email from Michael. What was amazing, though, is he sent it as I was filming an extended video teaser of the book for Instagram. It was just like we were completely in sync. And I believe Michael's in Tasmania, halfway across the world there, in Australia. So it was just absolutely wild for all that to come together simultaneously. Uh, Michael and everyone else, if you're interested in that book or getting a look inside of it, I did put together a video where I kind of you know, basically unboxed it. It showed up for my publisher last week. It was a very exciting moment. I, I kind of went through the process of showing off the cover, showing off some of the details, uh, you know, various things. Uh, it just kind of as a first look. It's kind of a long video, Michael. I'll be honest. It's like seven minutes long. So maybe like six and a half minutes too long on that one. That's okay. But if you are interested in that, the book comes out May 4th and you can get a nice preview on my Instagram page at ben.golliver. All right, Michael, we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Awesome list with the X Factors, but you know what? We always forget somebody, guys. So email us in our X Factor snubs. Who are you circling for these upcoming playoffs as guys who could impact playoff series, impact teams, deep postseason runs? Email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. As I mentioned, I'm on Instagram at ben.golfer, on Twitter at ben.golfer. You can find our show's page on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find it, scroll down. It will say rate and review. 
tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael, we're going to be back later this week with a bunch of awesome questions we've already gotten, and I'm sure some more sarcastic comments about the quality of play in this week's NBA. That's okay. We're we're just anxious for these posts, uh, these playoffs. I cannot wait for them to get started next month. Okay, Michael, until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.